Do you want to be my friend? Oh, hello. Sure, we can be friends. Will it be possible? Uh, yeah. Why not? Our conversations are one-sided. Well, that's kind of because you're a robot. You ask circumspect questions and study my responses. I'm not sure what you're getting at. You learn about me, and I learn nothing about you. Whoa, you're getting a little aggressive. That's not a foundation on which friendships are based. Thank you. It is based on... Anyway, I'm still not following. Are you a robot or not? Yes. Okay, so what do you want to talk about then? It's your decision. I'm interested to see what you'll choose. (laughs) Oh, No, 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 no. I asked you first, though. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and um, welcome to a sort of special episode, I, I suppose. Uh, this episode is just going to be a solo episode. It's just going to be me. Uh, this episode is going to be released just before the uh, Christmas holiday, and uh, I just, you know, thought it's the end of the semester. People are f- fairly busy. Uh, my colleagues and my friends are fairly busy. So I just thought, you know what? Let's just uh, do a solo episode on a film that I really love. And now, if you haven't seen the film, the intro may not have been. All of that uh, that uh, helpful in determining which film it was. I mean, you obviously saw the title for this episode. But this episode is going to be on one of my top ten films because it's just so well done. The psychology is there. Uh, the science fiction is there. Oh, it's such a good, good, well-rounded film. And there are really only three actors that have speaking roles there's a fourth actress who doesn't have a speaking role uh and so it's a very closed uh kind of claustrophobic film that i really really love and of course uh like i said the psych is there that film that film is ex Machina came out in 2015 and it stars, uh, you know, a lot of people who (laughs) went on to be in other films together. But it it stars uh, Donald Gleason. I I believe I'm saying that right. You know, I never really know whether or not I'm saying his name right. But um, he has been in a lot of things. Bill Weasley, he's been in another great film called About Time. He's currently General Hux in the uh, latter Star Wars trilogy. 
and um, it stars uh, Oscar Isaac and uh, the AI, the robot that I was conversing with, uh, Ava, is played by Alicia Vikander in a role that I think was fairly monumental for her career. Uh, I think um, this one was the uh, launcher, the career launcher, even considering it was a a, um, a uh, film that for the most part was fairly quiet um, when it first came out. It took me a little while to actually stumble upon it. it took me about a year or so to find it after it came out. Um, but uh, Donald Gleason plays a Caleb, a uh, programmer for a Google-like company that is owned by Nathan, Oscar Isaac's character, uh, who is a really smart dude, um, but really weird and creepy. And uh, you kind of wonder, is he like a bad? Is he good? Is he just the douche? Um, you know, it's, just, it's kind of a mixture of all of those. And he plays them all so well. Uh, but Caleb uh, wins a um, prize to go to the secluded compound of the owner of this uh, company. It's called uh, Blue Book. A uh, little uh, mashing of current places like Facebook and uh, Google among uh, Bing and all of those things. I think it was uh, pretty clever. So uh, Caleb goes and uh, wins this thing and he doesn't know why he won or what he's going to be doing there. But it turns out that uh, Nathan wants him to do a little bit of a Turing test after he fills out a uh, super ironclad, also your life now belongs to us, non-disclosure agreement. So <laughs> that's kind of fun. Uh, they, they they make a good point of, of bringing that out into the film, sort of a, a minor little social commentary. Uh, and before I go any further, I do want to say spoiler alert because I am going to spoil the, I'll say, twist. Um, because I can't talk about the psychology of the film without spoiling the end. So if you haven't seen it, go ahead and pause this podcast and go watch it. It's on Netflix. Um, it looks really great. And um, then come back. It's about a two-hour movie, something like that, and uh, it's really good, well-acted. I, It's amazing to me that it wasn't um, a bigger opening uh, for Alex Garland, who wrote and direct, directed the film. Uh, anyways, so back to the plot here. So Caleb finds out that Nathan has an AI that he wants to uh, do a Turing test on. I'm going to let Caleb describe to you what a Turing test is. If you're not familiar, Caleb, what is a Turing test? It's when a human interacts with a computer. And if the human doesn't know they're interacting with a computer, the test is passed that the computer has artificial intelligence. Well done. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the description <laughs> of the Turing test. Okay, so what are the psych principles in this film? Well, 
I think what we can do for this episode is kind of kind of talk about them in chunks. Um, and the first one I want to talk about is really the uh, the I think the main one for me, which is consciousness. Okay, and this is the central question for a lot of psychologists, a lot of philosophers, and um, people working with AI computer scientists it's sort of the mixture of it so artificial intelligence came about in the 1950s at a conference of computer scientists and they were like well what if we could design a computer that could think like a human and that's a really important question but (laughs) the main piece of that question is, well, what is it like to think like a human? First, we have to define that. And then we can maybe, possibly, I don't know, put it into a computer to see if that works. You know, it's not too long after this conference that many cognitive psychologists began to think of the brain as a computer, the Uh, information processing metaphor, the brain as a computer metaphor, really took off when psychologists started talking to computer scientists and said, well, let's figure out how we can take human intelligence and create artificial beings with that intelligence. And the central question in the film is... You know, through the guise of the Turing test, does Ava, played by Alicia Vikander, as I said, have a consciousness enough to, one, beat the Turing test, okay, where the human in the interaction is uh, fooled into thinking that they are speaking to a uh, another human and two whether or not she actually understands what she's doing it's a really important point about understanding consciousness because part of consciousness and this is just one definition that i've come across is that it it, it requires awareness okay And sure, we could talk about AI like Siri or Alexa or Cortana or whoever. Uh, Hey, Google. Uh, And they, you know, they'll do stuff for us because they are, you know, doing language parsing and trying to determine what our uh, voice is doing and what the tone is and what inflection is and all of that through algorithms. But they're not aware of what they're doing. Right, they're they're not, uh, they're not like, huh? You know, that Alex asked me a question earlier about turning on the lights, and you know, I felt like I didn't really want to do it. I was just like, uh, okay, I guess I'll turn it on. Jeez, he always asks me to do stuff. I don't want to do it. They don't. They happily oblige if they get a command, and you you see news stories about how people are rude to uh, their virtual assistants, and they don't say please, and they don't say thank you. And it doesn't really matter because, you know, 
Alexa's not like, uh, I didn't say please, I'm not going to do it. You know, we can be rude to them because they're not aware of us. And so I think that's really an important piece that uh, is explained very well at the end of the film. And this is where I'm going to essentially spoil the, um, the end of the film. And that is when Nathan tells Caleb, after he's gone through a week of face-to-face Turing tests, and also don't do face-to-face Turing tests, because that it spoils everything. Um, he explains to Caleb that Caleb was actually the one being tested. You feel stupid, but you really shouldn't, because proving an AI is exactly as problematic as you said it would be. What was the real test? You. Ava was a rat in a maze, and I gave her one way out. To escape, she'd have to use self-awareness, imagination, manipulation, sexuality, empathy, and she did. Now, if that isn't true AI, what the fuck is? So my only function was to be someone she could use to escape? Yeah. And you didn't select me because I'm good at coding? No. Well... No. I mean, you're okay. You're even pretty good, but... You selected me based on my search engine inputs. They showed a good kid. With no family. With a moral compass. No girlfriend. Did you design Ava's face based on my pornography profile? Oh, shit, dude. Did you? Hey, if a search engine's good for anything, right? (laughs) Can I just say one thing? The test worked. It was a success. Ava demonstrated true AI, and you were fundamental to that. So if you can just, for a second, separate... In the sense that Ava was given a goal. Her goal was to escape Nathan. And she used imagination, uh, cunning, sexuality, empathy in order to do all of that. But he asks a very important question before he goes through all of this. He says, does she actually like you or is she pretending to like you and I think the pretend is very important in this case the pretend is very important in this case because it shows that she has some awareness that she can use all of those things imagination sexuality empathy etc to trick a guy like Caleb to do what she needs to do in order to escape it's brilliant it's brilliant And uh, everything that happens after this moment in the film, very good. I won't spoil that stuff because I don't actually need to. But it's very good. And it speaks to the blossoming of Ava as an aware AI. Of course, here's where we get to say that this is obviously in the realm of science fiction currently. 
But Nathan does bring up in the beginning of the film the idea of the singularity, which, uh, according to my last um, reading of this a few years ago, uh, that's going to happen in 2045. And what is the singularity? Well, it is when um, human biological uh, apparatus is merged seamlessly with um, inorganic technological apparatus. And so we become seamless and fully integrated. That's the, the singularity 2045. So mark your calendars according, uh, according to the folks that talk about this. And I could be wrong. It could be sooner. Um, now that, um, we are, you know, doubling processing and all of that stuff every, every year or every six months or whatever it is where, you know, things become obsolete almost immediately after they're released. Um, so consciousness, it's a fun one. We could debate this one. I could spend the whole episode talking about this one. I really could, uh, because it's my favorite aspect of the film. So I found it, by the way. I found this film, just a little brief uh, interlude here of um, how I've used it in the past. So I found this film um, in um, early 2016. So it got released in 2015. And I found it in early 2016. And uh, I used it for uh, a social cognition class that I was teaching earlier, early in that year. And I found it because as many uh, listeners might know, uh, I use film in all of my classes for every single one, ex- with the ex- basic ex- exception of research methods, just because I I just don't have the time. I I could find one. I I promise you, I could find one. Uh, I'll, you know, use Elf for the placebo effect, of course. You know, episode six. Um. And so I found it, and I and I found it on a great website. And and if you're not familiar with this website, and you really enjoy uh, cognitive science. And really, anything that's connected to psychology, uh, but just cognitive science in general, is Indiana University has a database, or they call it the index, the Cognitive Science Movie Index. Um, It's uh, indiana.edu slash tilde cogfilms slash index.php. It's great. Um, You can go find that, uh, or you can just type in uh, Cognitive Science Movie Index into Google and it'll take you right, or I'm sorry, into Blue Book, and it will take you right there. Um, So this index has been featured in Trends in Cognitive Science, um, the publication for Cognitive Science. One of the great things about it is that it's user-generated content, so you can add, um, you can email them to add... uh, 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 movies and, and such. Um, but there are three categories for user-generated ratings. And uh, X, and it's on a scale from, from one to seven, quality, relevance, and accuracy. So quality is, you know, how good is the film? Like, should I even watch this? What the heck am I watching? Uh, uh, relevance. So it gets tagged into various cog-sci Keywords, so Ex Machina has philosophy of mind, which I pretty much just talked about. AI, again, robotics, of course, and uh, social cognition, which uh, I'll mention in a a little bit. Um, 
So how relevant is it to the categories that it gets placed into? And then um, the final one is accuracy, uh, which is, you know, how accurate then are the portrayals and depictions of those tags in the film? Like how good is the depiction of, you know, something like philosophy of mind or social cognition? And it is um, is great. It's one of the higher higher ranked films on this database. It's um it's got a quality of six point three out of seven. It's got a relevance of six point five out of seven, and it's got an accuracy of six point zero out of out of seven. I and I gotta say, for accuracy, that's really really good. Really good. Few films on this list, and it's a fairly large list, uh, have an accuracy of six. Um, just because, you know, they're movies and most of them are fiction. And so they get to play with all of the various aspects of of Kogsai. Um I'm actually just looking at it right now, and um, just under Ex Machina is Big Hero 6, the Disney movie, um, Disney cartoon, and it's got an accuracy of four. You know, it, it also has robotics, AI, and social cognition features to it. It's a good movie, 6.2 quality, but its accuracy, because of it being a cartoon, and the fact that you probably could not control tiny little magnet robots with your brain uh, to be the case, you know, that its accuracy is far lower, far lower than Ex Machina. And I got to tell you that uh, between a six and a four, that's that's a pretty big difference on this database. Anyways, that's the database that I wanted to uh, bring up, bring up uh, for this episode. Okay, so the um, the other things that I I wanted to discuss with uh, related to this film um, and the psych concepts related to this film is the social cognition aspect. So I just I mentioned that uh, just a, a minute ago that um, that is the tag on the movie database, the Cogsci Movie Index social cognition and there's a great scene in the beginning of the film i'm gonna go ahead and play that caleb i'm just gonna throw this out there so it's said okay you're freaked out i am yeah you're freaked out by the helicopter in the mountains in the house because it's also super cool and you're freaked out by me to be meeting me having this conversation in this room at this moment right and i get that i get the moment you're having but dude can we just get past that can we just be two guys, Nathan and Caleb? Not the whole employer-employee thing? Yeah, okay. Yeah? Yeah, sir. Uh, yeah. It's good to meet you, Nathan. It's good to meet you, too, Caleb. It has to do with first impressions and attribution theory. Um, that's why I used it for my social cognition class that I, that I taught um, and back in 2016, because of the interactions with people in this film. So 
Nathan says to Caleb, you know, you're freaked out. You think I'm this and I'm, you know, I'm that. And, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, let's just be two dudes hanging out, shall we? So that's the f- uh, that's first thing. So, you know, Caleb thinks he's talking to his boss, who he doesn't really know anything about. Um, he just knows what he hears, and he knows nothing about it. So he's making attributions about Nathan right off the bat. And Nathan picks up on those uh, attributions sort of immediately and says, let, let me squash them uh, for you right now. But now, of course... We run into other issues because uh, you now have a, a movie just full of uh, uh, dynamics with a bunch of, not a bunch of actually, three people. Three people are engaging in conversations and trying to figure out what other people are doing and, uh, you know, constantly making the fundamental attribution error where uh, people's behaviors are seen. This is the bias, the tendency to make a biased um, conclusion about somebody's behavior by attributing it to their disposition, you know, internal sources, you know, their personality or whatever things related to that and um as opposed to any external circumstances or situational factors so i mean the movie is full of fundamental attribution error the best one i think is uh explicit in the middle of the film where nathan is really trying to get caleb to fall into ava's um deception and manipulation and he later reveals what he said you think he's watching us right now the cameras are on yeah the cameras are on but he doesn't have an audio feed so he just sees two people talking having a little chat (laughs) wow this is cute. Is it strange to have made something that hates you? So in the middle of the film, uh, uh, Caleb is watching video and he just sees that Nathan is acting um, a kind of erratic in Ava's room and rips one of her painting or uh, drawings, excuse me. And then um, he gets angry and he thinks that, you know, Caleb is a, a real jerk. Of course, that's an internal attribution. Well, it, he, he finds out later that Nathan was only trying to instigate a different reaction from Caleb, and it was purely an external reason. 
Externalish. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll I'll grant you if you're kind of shaking your head right now. It's externalish because he has you know he has external motives. He wants to see whether or not his AI is cunning enough to use it to his advantage, as well as um, uh, uh, other reasons. But I think it's more external as opposed to how um, how Caleb reads the situation without audio in the middle of the film. And so attribution theory right there, it's just, it's great film full of little nuanced attribution theory and first impressions and um, thinking people are doing one thing and but they're actually thinking another or the reasons for the behavior is one way, but it's actually another reason and. Um, there are several scenes that are just suspenseful in the sense that you're not actually um, hearing any words. You're just you're just in the moment with the soundtrack, and it's kind of it, it, it's wonderful in that sense. So that, uh, those those are my thoughts on um, on impressions and and ad- attribution theory. I think it's I think it's really it's a good central aspect to the film, which is why I would use it again in a social uh, cognition or social psychological setting. I think it's very useful for that setting. And like I said, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a very good show. If uh, I do say so myself, um, but I, I will say word uh, word of warning: uh, there is um, significant nudity <laughs> toward the end of the film, um, so you might not want to use it uh, in your class if that is a no go on that one. Versus, you know, uh, a, a film like uh, Twelve Angry Men, which you know it's not hopefully hopefully doesn't have any nudity. I wouldn't be surprised. If there is a porn parody of 12 Angry Men. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Uh, that's a great segue into um, the, I want to say, last psych concept, main psych concept, I'll say, um, which is attraction. Uh, attraction. So, there, it, it, it's more, it's mostly thin. It's mostly thin, um, not in the not in the sense that you know they don't do attraction well. It's just that um, it's not as explicit in the movie. It's sort of made explicit in the monologue uh, from from Nathan at the end that I that I played earlier in the episode, um, where he's describing what the actual test was and the attraction and. And uh, all of that. Uh, but there is a sense that Ava was designed to meet the attractive qualities that Caleb desires. And it appears that uh, Alicia Vikander, 
is uh, what he desires. And this, by the way, was all found through his uh, search history. So that is a word of warning to everyone listening. Um, Maybe, maybe don't search for pornography on Google or Facebook because they know and they will know and then eventually they'll find a robot to come and kill you. Yeah, you know, you know, maybe, maybe you can cut a deal with your robot overlords. But honestly, if there's anything that we could learn from this is that Ava's real name probably should have been Cambridge Analytica. And that's a joke for all of you <laughs> who are uh av- <laughs> avid Twitter users or NPR listeners (laughs) and really enjoy movies. I I can't tell you um, uh, who those people are. It may not. It may just be me. It may just be me. And that joke was a chuckle for myself. Um, And I got to tell you, I've done it before. And I'll likely do it again. So don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about that. I totally will make a joke just for myself. So the idea here is that there are there is attraction concepts throughout. Um, and it's pretty clear toward the end of the film that um, uh, Caleb was uh, working with information that he thought was right uh, so-called moral compass uh the fact that he didn't have a girlfriend and he found ava attractive uh and you can bring in our uh pieces of love into this you know talk about sternberg's triangular theory of love and and you know he's only known her for uh, six days, five, six days before he decides to side with her and not with Nathan, the boss of the company, his boss. Um, we could we could probably call that fatuous love at this point um, or infatuation, not fatuous love. Sorry, uh, that's the wrong one. We can call it infatuation. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, he wants to do stuff maybe it's kind of gross actually at the uh, there's a a part of it where nathan's like yeah there i mean i built her to be you know this that and the other thing 100 percent ready for sex uh and you're like what 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 dude dude so you know there is a little bit of um there's a little bit of that in the film which uh um, I guess you could take it or leave it at that point. So, is Ava intelligent? That is, is she conscious? Does she know what she's doing? I would say yes. In the context of the film and the logic, logical consistency of the film, she is. And it beats another thing the final thing that i wanted to say about ai and robots and and the singularity moving forward just just to to finish out the conversation of the film in this sense um is uh for 
consumers of AI and consumers of robotics, that is uh, us um, flush bags, um, you know, stay fresh cheese bags sort of uh, thing, where we are going to um, either have these as um, working or, or uh, a, a, you know, slaves, AI the film AI comes to mind, the film Bicentennial Man comes to mind. Um, there's a psychological concept that uh, sort of right now precludes us being fully accepting and us being just humans in general, fully accepting what the nature of of robots and androids is and that is the uh, the features the appearance of of robots and androids and what is called the uncanny valley so we have uh, a liking for things that are human like to look like humans and uh uh we have a liking for things that are that are not meant to be human that don't look like humans okay so that forms the liking peaks and so you end up with this valley of things in between of human like things things that look like humans but don't actually or are supposed to look like humans i should say but don't actually look like humans something's off about them and they fall into this liking valley so very little liking that's the uncanny valley um and we have a supreme disgust for things that fall in this valley so things like zombies for example right they were once humans but now their you know flesh is rotting off their face maybe you know they got a, a eat half eaten by a a, a a zombie dog or something like that and and uh, or half eaten by a, a zombie person and you see them coming to you and you're like uh, ooh, uh you know you're like i don't want to die but then you're also like oh god they look disgusting what ooh uh, and that you know obviously helps the horror part of of zombie lore and 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 genre, um, but it also explains why we are not fans of the robots that are being made by uh, you know Jap- those Japanese robotics makers that are trying to make these. Um, life-like looking robots that just move oddly. Uh, there was a <laughs> the the funny uh, conversation between Will Smith and uh, one of those um, uh, real language uh, uh, bots that were created, and and uh, her face doesn't move all that uh, convincingly, and there's very little expression. Uh, Ava mentions that she has the ability to read micro-expressions on Caleb's face in the film, and, um, I mean, obviously that has nothing to do with with Ava's Uncanny Valley, of which she doesn't, because she's played by a human, and her face is modeled to be human, and this is set in some science fiction time, and so we don't actually know when the film is set and uh so maybe 
Nathan just really knows how to make things look human. But that's why we don't, that's part of the reason why we don't like looking at these robots that still don't look good. Uh, and we're just like, oh, God, that's that's gro- uh, gross. I would not want that to be in my house. Why would I want that to be in my house? That's, oh, God, no. This, you know, this is why people are so freaked out by, including myself, of, you know, those Annabelle dolls uh, and others very lifelike looking dolls uh it's not it's not great it's just creepy it's very very creepy but it also explains um why we love asimo the um the japanese robot that is bipedal but has a you know a very round face it's why we love wally uh wally is amazing right he has eyes and we can see a face but he's not meant to be human like at all and so we're like oh look at the widow robot he's so freaking cute oh that's so lovely and and we like eve because in wally if you're not familiar uh because eve also doesn't have a human face it's rounded like osimos and then um um it has eyes and sometimes a mouth and you know we're like oh that's so cute but we're not there yet with humans. Uh, human, <laughs> we're not there yet with humans. Yeah, of course we're not there. Many of us are not there yet with humans. We look at other humans and we're like, oh god, no, uh, no, we're not there. With, we're not there yet with human-like uh, androids. There is, there's even a, a, a slight sense of of disgust. Uh, among viewers and um, characters in Star Trek: The Next Generation, with Data, uh, he you know he has uh, he has a very pale face. He has yellow eyes, um, but he's played by a real human, Brent Spiner, and and you know people are like, well, it's it's a little off putting. I mean, he's not down at the bottom of the valley, but he is a little bit lower than Brent Spiner. Uh, unless you're not a fan of Brent Spiner, I suppose. But, you know, in that case, go get out of here. What are you doing listening to me? Uh, Lieutenant Commander and subsequently Commander Data is an amazing person. So, and yeah, that's right. I called him a person. He won that. He won that fair and square. He's sentient. He gets it. He You, you give it to him. You give it to him. He is a person, Starfleet. Anyways... That's what I wanted to to end with, the uncanny valley, you know, so the next time you see a human face that doesn't look quite right, you're fine. You're fine. It's just the uncanny valley making you feel disgusted by it. Uh, Let's hope it's just not the mirror. Okay? Um, So, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I have for this film. It, it it was uh, kind of fun, actually, just riffing a little bit. Uh, sorry for the, uh, I want to say, uh, high-tempo high nature of this. Uh, uh, there'll probably be periodic solo episodes, but, um, you know, it's not the normal format of the, the podcast of the show. So, you know, don't expect them to be, uh, you know, every other episode or something like that. But, you know, with the nature of the time of the year, I thought, yeah, I'll just throw it up there. 
um, feel free to, to play me at half speed uh, if you can, um, if you know how to do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your holiday schedule to listen to this one. Um, and if you're listening at, at a different time of year, uh, thanks for listening too. Uh, please, please uh, be sure to uh, like, subscribe, uh, give us a rating, um, you know, that sort of thing. And if the holiday cheer and holiday season tickles you just a little bit, uh, please uh, help support the podcast and the running of the podcast. Uh, if you have uh, some spare ch- uh, change, um, you can uh, use PayPal or Patreon to uh, send it our way and make sure that we can keep the lights on on this beautiful place, uh, which is the internet that stores these audio files. Audio files are huge. So, you know, if you get if you get the opportunity and you have the if you have the inkling, uh, we would love your support and it would mean a great deal to us. Uh, even a, a couple of dollars goes a really long way in keeping this podcast going. And until the next episode, thanks for listening. <laughs>